Hello, and welcome to The Dirt, a show about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. Before we start the show, just a reminder that we have some fun, nerdtacular merch available for your holiday gifting needs. Check it out at thedirtstore.bigcartel.com. And why might holiday gifting be on our minds, Anna? Because it's Kranoka, a new <laughs> holiday we just invented, where Amber and I try to fathom the immensity of time and talk about how archaeologists, anthropologists, and historians communicate time to one another. So, for example, what's an age, or a period, or an era, or an epoch? How do we figure it out? How do we make ages match up all over the world? Is this math? Why does my head hurt? Yep, we're going to do this for eight nights. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> but, okay, let's start with periodization. Okay. So, Periodization is the process or study of categorizing the past into discrete, quantified, named blocks of time. So it's usually done in order to understand history. And so to be able to say, oh, that happened during the Bronze Age, and for other people to understand what you mean. Um, and not just locally, but in a more global sense. So that way, you can talk about events and people from the same time in different places and understand that multiple interwoven stories are happening all over the world. That sounds great, right? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not that it's not that simple. Oh. Um, yeah, I know. So periodization is kind of abstract. And since we tend to understand tangible material things or known events, like when somebody sacked a city or somebody became a king. Or um, when a volcano erupted. Yes. Yes. Um, those things tend to be used to define those chunks of time. But... Those tangible things or single events are tied to the place that they came from. Right. So the, so. the volcano happened in the place where that volcano is. And yeah. the king was king of a place. Yeah, in another part of the world. And mm -hmm. so he doesn't know that this volcano erupted and that volcano doesn't care that he was king. So, quote, history. <laughs> Did you hear my scare quotes? I, I heard them. Um, that is events happening and people interacting with those events is happening everywhere, all the time, forever. So any systems of periodization are more or less arbitrary. But here's the thing. Without named periods, we wouldn't have any way to understand each other without talking about things that happened in the past. So this is why dogs can't be archaeologists, because dogs don't understand when things happened in the past. Dogs don't have a good sense of time. Nations, cultures, families, even individuals, but not dogs, each with their different remembered histories are constantly imposing overlapping, often unsystematized schemes of defining periods of time. So these labels for different chunks of time are continually challenged and redefined. But once a chunk of time has a particular, you know, brand that is convenient to use and easy to remember and tell other people about, it's really hard to get rid of that label. Yeah, there's there's a, an excerpt from a great paper by Adam Rabinowitz. And so I'll just read this yeah. excerpt. Ancient time undergoes a curious flattening process in which developments that took place over centuries appear to have happened all at once in a great jumble. Introduce into this confusion the idea that periods are essentially arbitrary conventions about which scholars disagree and many students will decide that the periodization of the ancient world is simply impossible to learn. Oh, man. Isn't this fun? Aren't you having fun already? What a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a great time. Something that our listeners will already have some familiarity with just by listening to us talk about these things um, is the three-age system. And that is a usual <laughs> method. Isn't, isn't that the riddle of the Sphinx? Yes. Yeah. That the <laughs> Baby. Man, old man. Man with cane? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. There's a classics, um, classics nerd joke. Sorry. <laughs> so the usual method for periodization of the distant prehistoric past um, that we use in archaeology is to rely on changes in material culture and technology. Um, and this is... This has its flaws, but it's mm. stuck. And so these three ages are the Stone Age, the Bronze Age, and the Iron Age. And then you've got subdivisions from there. So it's like based on different styles of material remains. And so despite the development over recent decades of the ability through radiocarbon dating and other 
scientific dating methods to give absolute dates for many sites or artifacts, these long-established schemes seem like they're not going anywhere. Right. Um, and so when we talk about the technology that changes, we're not talking about like iPhones and Samsung Galaxies. We're talking about things like stone tools or ceramic assemblages. So the the type of pottery and how it changes or how it's made with a wheel now or smelting. Which is the process of uh, getting pure metal from ores and it has nothing to do with your sense of smell or in fact with the little fish that are called smelts. So like smelting like in the Bronze Age. Yeah. 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 So let's stick with that example. Um, it's called the Bronze Age because we start to see bronze metalworking technology along with a couple of other things like early writing and pre-urban settlements in some places. But bronze, which is an alloy of copper and tin, doesn't happen everywhere at once because not every place in the world has natural deposits of copper and or tin. So in the places where those those metals are available, bronze pops up pretty early. But in farther away places that don't have their own uh, sources for copper or tin, the Bronze Age happens later because it takes time for the materials and technology to use those materials to get there, whether it's via trade or maybe even the people who are doing the metalworking are traveling looking for um, new places to set up shop. Yeah. So we've got, we kind of have ourselves in a situation where some places are at a serious advantage when it comes to entering the Bronze Age. Yeah. And so and like we'll talk a little bit about places without a three-age system and why they're those places. And there's a curious thing about where those places are. Yeah. And so there are these connotations with the places that enter the Bronze Age and things yeah. like that first because – it is encoded in that that you sort of ascribe some kind of technological superiority or even like a cognitive superiority to those yeah. those people. And that's that's not really the case. Yeah. Well let's go back to a let's go way back. Let's go in the way, way back to a okay. time that Anna gets. Yeah. Let's <laughs> welcome to a section I like called Things Anna Knows About, kind of. Uh we're talking about the divisions of the Stone Age. So this is uh, one of those things we were just talking about where the division of time is based on categories of material. So in this case, stone tools. And that's problematic as archaeology keeps turning up new evidence because if anything changes about the way we understand those categories of stone tool, then that destabilizes the whole system. Also, I am not a person who studies stone tools. I do work in the broad area of early human evolution and encounter stone tool studies a lot. So I am broadly qualified to talk about this, but um, I'm not going to go into huge amounts of detail about stone tools. If you are interested in that kind of thing, we will include some jumping off points in our show notes for you if you want to read more. So I will now impart to you the things I know about the gradation of the Stone Age. It's not much. And also, <laughs> people argue about these classifications all the time. So if you're interested in this topic, again, there is a world of research out there for you. So here we go. The Stone Age technically well, starts... Well, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> the Stone Age technically starts way back in time. The oldest known stone tools were found on the shores of Lake Turkana in what is now Kenya, and they date back to around 3.3 million years ago. But that date predates modern humans. Earlier hominins were making those tools, and we will cover that when we do our human evolution series at the start of the new year. So if you want to talk about the human Stone Age with Homo sapiens, we are talking about 2.6 million years ago. The early Stone Age includes the most basic stone toolkits made by early humans. So there are two different concurrent things happening. There is a Stone Age in Africa and also something going on in Europe, and they have different names. So, All right. Yep, yep. I'm, Here we go I'm, with uh, that. I'm starting to regret Kronika. <laughs> <laughs> Only now? <laughs> so, oh, no. <laughs> the early Stone Age in Africa is equivalent to what is called the Lower Paleolithic in Europe and Asia. But let's back up. How do you even make a stone tool? In the simplest terms... You just pick up a rock <laughs> and, and use it for a thing. Yeah. Well, um, you said in the this simplest case, terms. 
Okay. How about the next simplest? Um, That is a purposely modified stone. So you do something to the stone first, then it becomes a tool. So to make a stone tool, you use a stone cobble. It's called a hammer stone or some other hard material to knock sharp flakes off of a core made of a stone like flint, chert, obsidian, or silkrete. Now, there are stone tools made on all kinds of other stone, but these types of stone are special because they have material properties that mean that they fracture in relatively predictable ways. So if you're skilled at it, you can shape the type of tool you want. And so a core is like the pre-tool? A core is... So... so um. These rocks, chert, obsidian, those kinds of things, they occur in natural nodules. So there's like a big lump of, let's say, chert, and it's got what's called cortex on the outside. And that's kind of rougher, more weathered versions of of the chert. So you have to knock that off first. And then you've got a nice solid block of chert, which hopefully is nice and uniform all the way through so that it does those predictable fractures. And that is the core. That is the the chunk off of which you start to make your stone tools. And the and so the cobble is made out of a different type, like a harder material, right? Yeah, it's something like often river stones, like those okay. rounded, nice uh, hand-sized stones that you would, you'd find on the, the shores of a, a river or a lake. All right. <laughs> you still with me? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm there. Okay, cool. So we have, okay. we have our core... And we've chunked a piece off of it. So the oldest stone tools uh, that we know of uh, are known as the Oldowan toolkit because they were found in the Old Vi Gorge. And so to be a part of the Oldowan toolkit, these uh, stone tools have to consist of at least hammer stones that show evidence of battering on their surfaces. So evidence that it's been used as a hammer stone. Stone cores that show, so you can see where a flake was knocked off of a core, and that's called a flake scar. And so you, you'll you see cores that have a series of flake scars along more uh, one or more of the edges. And then the flakes themselves, the sharp stone pieces that were struck off from the cores and used for cutting edges. And then also along with that, um, when you hit a core, you can... Uh, you, you sometimes get a lot of debris, so smaller bits and pieces that that I know as as debitage, but um, that's because I I'm familiar with it in the French context. Um, so it's little bits and pieces of the stone that aren't useful as as tools necessarily, but they come off in the process of making the tool. Okay. Here's where we get into kind of the weeds because I'm I'm oh not... man I'm already in the weeds. Yeah, we're oh. in a weeds full of rocks. Oh man! So I that know for sure that the Oldowan toolkit begins 2.6 million years ago with the early Stone Age. I'm not sure okay. what it is before that, and so maybe we should have like a lithics expert on the show to talk us through this. So by about 1.76 million years ago, and I also should mention that the information that I'm using here is from the Smithsonian's website, uh, their Human Origins website, which is fantastic. We will link to it and they have great pictures and a really nice, clear uh, timeline for for these stone tool types. So we're at 1.76 million years ago now. Oh my God. (laughs) But we're We're never going to make it to the present day. No, it's okay. There's like really big (laughs) chunks of time involved here. So early humans began to strike really large flakes off of cores and then continued to shape those flakes by striking smaller flakes from around the edges. And the resulting implements included a new kind of tool called a hand axe. And these are kind of leaf-shaped, usually hand-sized, although not really my hand, a bigger hand. Um, And they are these big, solid, uh, tear-shaped Tools that that we don't know exactly how they were used, but they probably fulfilled a lot of functions. You could chop things, you could slice things. They were a very versatile tool. And these and other kinds of, quote, large cutting tools, so modified flakes larger than 10 centimeters, characterize what is called the Achillean toolkit. And it is named after the French site of Saint-Achille. So this this toolkit, and this is where we, we get even weedier into the weeds, this basic toolkit continues to be made until about 250,000 years ago. So 1.76 million years to 250,000 years. Okay. So a really long time. Now, not every single group of people who are making this toolkit are doing it in exactly the same way. It's incredibly similar. There are these hand axes 
in lots of places all over the world, but there are some stone tool assemblages from this time period that don't have hand axes. So are they Acheulean? I don't know. Right. So yeah, that's and- that's where we get into weird like terminology problems and and questions of is this really a useful kind of way of defining time? So um, I, basically all we can do for our listeners is to present them with the problems and then just right. go, eh? It's very cool. Like this stuff is very cool. But and it's always changing. So it's And it's always changing. And so <laughs> it's something this is like paleoethnobotany for me all over again, where it's something where I was like, this is so cool. Like the implications are so huge. Like you can learn so much. And then you actually like look at the material that you have to work through. And, and then and I was like, oh God, oh no. Oh God, it's a bunch of rocks. And like I have like rock blindness. Rock like- blindness. Um, but but yeah, so the Ashleyan toolkit is like where I start to know what's up. Oh, good. So yeah, so oh, great. great. Welcome, and, welcome but, to this well, party. Happy Kronika. Yeah, and, and now we're moving on. Okay, to another so, period. <laughs> I mean, Once, here's the thing. Here's, just in here's, time. Here's that thing where we have different processes starting and ending at really different times based right. on who's doing what all over the world because the Ashleyan toolkit ends. Between four hundred and two hundred and fifty thousand years ago, in yeah. in the scheme of like millions of years, that is a tiny sliver of time. But if you're talking about actual human lifespans, because yeah. that is who is making these tools, that's a very long time. So now we're moving from the early Stone Age slash Lower Paleolithic, which so um, when I, when I say Stone Age things, that's in Africa. Anytime I say Paleolithic, that's Europe. So. Now we're in the Middle Stone Age in Africa and the Middle Paleolithic in Europe. And in Europe, we've got Neanderthals, Neanderthaling, while in Africa, humans are continuing to evolve. The Middle Stone Age toolkits included points. Oh, and also when I say toolkits, it doesn't mean that every person had a little sack of these exact tools like on their person. It's not like, (laughs) yeah, it's not their caboodle. Full of, <laughs> full of stuff. It just means like the the complex of things that make up the types of tools that people were creating in this time. Okay. okay. So the Middle Stone Age toolkit included points, which could be hafted, so put on a handle onto a shaft to make spears. And then eventually uh, smaller points would have been made and they could be attached to smaller shafts to make things like darts, arrows, and other projectile weapons. Or like um, a children's spear. Yes. For like bring your child to work day. Yes. <laughs> there were other types of stone tools. So things like awls, you know, it's a it's a tool that uh, you can hold on your hand with your hand or you can also haft a tiny stone point onto a, a wooden or bone handle that can be used to perforate things like hides. Um, also in hide preparation, you, you'd have scraper tools um, that could be used to scrape the animal goop off the inside of a hide or scrape wood and other materials. And these um, more perishable materials were also um, typical of the Middle Stone Age and were likely also typical in the earlier periods, but that type of stuff doesn't preserve as well. And so there is very little evidence of it in the Middle Stone Age. And then the the farther back in time you go, the less likely it is that organic materials are going to preserve. So we just don't know. These toolkits, the the Middle Stone Age toolkits and Middle Paleolithic, last until at least 50,000 to 28,000 years ago. So again, there's that wonky range of time where technology is changing in different places as people move. So the reason that happens is because around 50,000 years ago, Homo sapiens starts to migrate in groups out of Africa and enter into Europe and also everywhere else in the world. And so humans are bringing different toolkits with them. And that brings us to the late Stone Age and Upper Paleolithic. And this is just associated, as far as we know, with Homo sapiens. So by around 50,000 years ago, at least in Eastern Europe, and then later in Western Europe, the Neanderthals go extinct. There are no more Neanderthals. And so with the late Stone Age slash Upper Paleolithic, here is what the Smithsonian has to say. And I'm attributing it to the Smithsonian because I have my own thoughts about it. 
The Upper Paleolithic toolkits are very diverse and reflect stronger cultural diversity than in earlier times. The pace of innovations rose. Groups of Homo sapiens experimented with diverse raw materials, including bone, ivory, and antler, as well as stone, and the, quote, level of craftsmanship increased, and different groups sought their own distinct cultural identity and adopted their own ways of making things. Okay, who, so... Who, who is that quoting? Like an early Homo sapien? <laughs> wait, wait. Um, well, okay. So in, in many ways, the Smithsonian makes a lot of legitimate points and like, yeah, they're the Smithsonian. I trust them. But there is an increasing amount of evidence that suggests that many groups of Neanderthals and, and maybe even some earlier hominins um, may have also experimented with diverse raw materials and may have had stronger cultural diversity. So the issue is investment of time and effort. And so what we see associated with Homo sapiens really seems to be more the ability to invest more time um, in creation of tools. And more time to do things like create ornamentation and art. But there is beginning to be some Neanderthal evidence of things like art and um, intensive tool manufacture. So again, everything is changing. So lower Paleolithic is older than upper Paleolithic? Yes. It's okay. as if it's as if things are We're stratified. Rising. We're rising from through the, time. From the stone. Okay. And what's the epipaleolithic? So the Epipaleolithic comes between the Upper Paleolithic and the Neolithic, but also, but that's murky too, because the but Neolithic also is like a weird wonky, and then you because you've got the pre-pottery, yeah, and then the well A and B, and then you've got the just like straight up Neolithic. Well, that's the and thing; like, got, like lots of all lots of that cultural like, change is happening, lots of material change. So like some places oh, have pottery, some places don't have pottery, and also sometimes this is called the Mesolithic. Sometimes the two terms are confused. Sometimes they're used as synonyms. I I'm so confused I can't even say synonym. Yeah, we have the <laughs> super old Stone Age, right? Then we have, but the super old Stone Age is in Africa. Yes, and before humans. So we have super more, old stone that's age. Even more important. Okay. Yeah. That's, okay. Then we have the lower Paleolithic and the lower Stone Age. Right. Then we have yes. the middle of both Middle Stone Age, Middle Paleolithic. Okay. Then we have the Upper Paleolithic and the later Stone Age. And then okay. we have the Epi Paleolithic, sometimes the Mesolithic. Then we have the Neolithic. And then we start to have things like agriculture. The holidays are stressful. Yeah. And Kronika is no different. That's <laughs> okay. Tell so, me about places without a three age system. Yeah. So I, I thought that this would be a fun thing to include because I was fun. like, well, in, I, well, yeah, so it's me. So of course I found something that became a huge bummer. And so I was like, well, in the Americas, I know that the, the, the time periods are different. Um, and so I was like, let's learn about that. Um, so so wholesome. It sounds so wholesome starting out. I know. I know. This is, this is what happens. This is like the story of my life. So um, the classification of archaeological periods and cultures um, in the Americas, so both of them, uh, the most enduring classification system was introduced in 1958. Um, in a book by Gordon Willie and Philip Phillips. Philip Phillips. I know. Wait. Mr. and the... Mrs. Phillips, get it together. And yet there is a recording artist now named Philip Phillips. Oh, yes. Maybe same, same? He time traveler? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he there were no chronological worlds left to conquer, so. Guitar. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1958, these two bros released the book. Method and Theory in American Archaeology. A classic. And, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. And so in it, they divided the archaeological record in the Americas into five phases. All of human existence <laughs> in the Americas, five phases. But only three of them applied to North America. What? So yeah, Right, right. Okay. So I'm going to take you through them now. So okay. number one, we got the Paleo-Indian stage and or the Lithic stage. So you've but got, not the Paleolithic. 
Right. So you've got the lithic, just general lithic. They used rocks. They used rocks or paleo Indians. Okay. So, so they, they were didn't really use, into their diet. They did. Yes, they were paleo Indians. And then there was the the whole thirty Indians. Yes, that came next. Um, so sorry, the whole thirty sorry. Indians. <laughs> I'm not helping. So the the keto Indian stage. Uh, is no, next. you're fired. <laughs> so the the next was the archaic stage. Yeah, this is the real one, guys. Yeah, so this one's real. <laughs> so we've got Paleo Indians and or Lithic, mm-hmm. but not Paleolithic Indian, right? And up next we had the archaic stage. Okay. After that, we've got the formative stage. I don't like the connotations there, but okay. Oh, oh, it gets better. And by better, I mean so much worse. Uh, it's a, the formative stage is also known as the post-archaic stage. You may remember some of this from when we talked about um, chronologies in indigenous Central and South America. Yeah. Uh, we, Aztec, Inca, Maya, etc. Yeah. And so we talked a bit about local chronologies mm-hmm. um, to give a little bit of a spoiler into what happens in chronology in the Americas. Uh, but also there is that idea of like archaic, formative, post-archaic yeah. kind of thing. Yep. So so here at the formative or post-archaic stage, the North American classification system uh, kind of veers away from the rest of the Americas. So specifically okay. the Meso and South America. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there aren't other Americas. <laughs> in North America... You've got the the woodland and Mississippian stages, which and I would so love to do an episode about soon because I I want to learn more about yeah those yeah groups. yeah and so that so you've got that that formative post archaic stage that has subdivisions okay, it has a schism yeah and and so that's happening in North America while in South Meso and South America you start moving into the classic and then the post classic. So local, so today, so this was in 1958, right? Um, yeah, and 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 it, you still see this in, yeah, in, in textbooks writing, and stuff, yeah, in, in textbooks, yeah, and in sort of introductory, like non-specialist um, information, because it gets really, really murky w- the way that people, the way that archaeologists talk about chronologies today, because they use local chronologies, um, and. That's that better reflects diversity and complexity on the continents. You're not painting this very broad brush because you know, just because they're on the same continent doesn't mean that they have much in common beyond that. And and so there's greater precision in in reporting and in documentation. So part of the thing about I mean, no group of people exists completely in a vacuum. Right. So if you want to talk about the larger interactions between groups of people and not only their environment, but everybody else around them, you all of a sudden, once you have these local chronologies, have a lot more going on than just to understand it. Like these people weren't existing and, and thinking of themselves as existing in the archaic stage or whatever. Right. Yeah. That's an external designation. We're post-classic. We peaked. (laughs) Um, We've done it, everyone. And, and so it's um so it is it's more complicated and it's um sort of there's more of a burden on the archaeologist, but it's worth it uh because it like changing the the way that researchers think about it has had an impact on how we think about what we call progress. Yes. And so there isn't, so we're moving away from this idea that cultures and societies are obligated to evolve in a linear fashion. And that like this idea that you pinnacle the classic. Yeah. yeah. And so like when you look at what happened in the classic South America, you're looking at like the peak of empires and then post-classic is like when they fall apart before white people show up. Yeah, but and but we've we've gone over how that is not in fact they didn't really collapse. They just that's started not how, doing yeah, different it just, stuff. It just went differently. Yeah. And so um when we compare people in the past to an arbitrary standard, like a standard that we've set um, of technological advancement, what we're really doing is passing value judgments on people in the past. Yeah, so, so we like try not we to do that. Yeah, and so that's why we're moving. A- we move away from these these i these ideas of these, like big oh, sweeping well, chronologies. Yeah, like they they have metallurgy. Oh, I like that sort of. It's like no, you like had access to those people are so like, metal. Yeah, right. Yeah. Very, 
very metal. Mm-hmm. And so th- this is um, this is great. And this is like huge advancement. And so you see this um, in most parts of the world, this movement away from these like very like monolithic time periods to something more local, something more hybridized, something that has more more meaning from it, less meaning put onto it and more meaning drawn from it. It's like food. It's like going from what? Like well, like the movement of of food towards more local, ah. more meaningful from like you go from like Big Mac chronologies to like you know, a local meat share. I'm hungry. <laughs> Sorry. Let's let's well, talk let about me, Australia. Let me ruin your appetite for you oh. uh, by talking about places where um, there's not been as much of a movement towards local chronologies and and um, less problematic ones. So I was like, well, I knew I knew about the not three age chronology in the Americas, and I'm like, well, what about other places? Um, and then I learned about Australia's chronologies, which was a bummer. So, okay, they, I'm ready. Yeah. So, well. Well, don't worry, because it doesn't take long. You've got the indigenous period, which runs from 60,000 years before the Common Era to 1606. Um, but, but in 1606, the Europeans show up. So then from 1606 to 1788, you have European contact pre-settlement period. Okay. And then 1788 to 1820... You've got settlement or pre-industrial period. And then from the 1820s to present, you've got the industrial and modern period. So you've got 61,000 years of everybody up until Cook. White people. And company into white people. Yep. Um, and then um, Wikipedia very kindly is notabene. Australian archaeology is often simply classified as prehistoric before European settlement. And historic post seventeen eighty eight, but oh this boy. is contentious. Is it? Is as it? Wikipedia? It implies Indigenous Australians had no history, despite having a strong oral tradition, which I feel like the despite clause is sort of an understatement. So there's mm-hmm. this idea that anything that happened before white people showed up was the same. So that's why we talk about like you have these. It's like this. So if we like rewind to the beginning of the episode when we talk about how we do periodization so that we have these discrete units of time where there's some sort of internal consistency. Um, Lots of things changed over those 61,000 years. Yeah, this is making my internal consistency unhappy. And so uh, if we move over to New Zealand, there's a similar issue, uh, but... I mean, actually, it's not as bad, mostly because it took people longer to get to New Zealand. Right? Am I correct? You are that, correct. That New Zealand didn't have people on it. Yeah, it was it was people like a any bit people. Later. Mm-hmm. No humans. <laughs> and so you so you've got the archaic period. There that is um, again. Yep, there it is. Um, and that's from one thousand CE to. Um, 1350 or 1650 depending on which island it is so at 1350 on the north island 1650 to the okay eastern south island and then you've got the classic period Mm -hmm. 1350 to 1800 or 1650 to 1800 if you're on eastern south island um and then i guess in 1800 white people showed up Um, or maybe new zealand ceased to exist in 1800 and it's just been fiction sense i'm gonna go with that well that's one way to look at it what's next (laughs) um and well what's what's next is there's no chronology listed for oceania which is the the sort of the polynesian islands well yeah so polynesia micronesia and melanesia all the nesias okay what's up with oceania i don't know i don't know well part of it is the climate um and the materials that are used in in lives um are very ephemeral yeah so it's, it's hard to get of, a uh, sense organic of, stuff yeah. yeah because a lot of the stuff that we look at in terms of setting up chronologies are things like 
ceramics and tools and and things that you can look at the evolution of it over time yeah and so it's it's less like that so if you are listening and you work in oceania um and you want to educate us about how you think about the past um but this is this is it's very or honestly any of the other areas we've talked about if you work anywhere and you've got thoughts on chronologies and the places if you you would like to help us understand time yeah reach out the dirt podcast at gmail.com yeah but um but when when we talk about so we talk about bce and ce here at the dirt um we it's when we talk about things in the common era or before the common era right but have you anna ever thought about who decided that the common era was common Honestly, not until earlier this morning when I read the script. So BCE and CE are the same thing as BC and AD. Yeah. So BC is before Christ. Before Christ and AD is Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord is, Meaning is what that means in Latin. That specific Lord. Yeah. Yep. That one. Um, and so when the change was made, so BC, it was just, it was just changed. So it's just the common era. So it's, it's still, so, but I guess that's better than in the year of their Lord. Um, oh right? boy. That's because, well, that's, no, like, like it's, it's cause it's the same thing. So you've no, got, I know, but calling it their Lord sounds aggressive. Right. And so you just change it to CE, but it still means the same thing. How did the common era become the common era? Well, I found out. Okay. So tell me. We have a sixth century monk named Dionysius Exiguus to thank for that BC AD divide. Um, even though okay. it took a couple hundred years for his idea to catch on. So oh, all and the, the good ones take a while. Yeah. And so in the late five hundreds, our boy Dionysius sat down with the Gospel of Saint Luke. Uh-huh. Um, which records the life of Jesus Christ. Yep. So that's like, so the nativity story, mm-hmm. like the one that's commonly cited is the one in the gospel of St. Luke, but it also walks you through the rest of his life. So he, he used the gospel of St. Luke. He used Roman census records and a whole lot of math. Okay. And he calculated the date of the conception, not his birth, which is a thing I learned. Okay. So he calculated the, the, date of jesus's conception and at first people were like meh i don't know um and so about it took almost 300 years but by this point christian kingdoms had adopted this calendar and it has stuck in most of the world to this day so from the ninth century ish onward yeah onward and so before that um people didn't really care because in most times like most times throughout history, like written history, you look at like things are done in regnal years. So you look at who was king in, in the third year of this king in the month of this month, um, and and so it the calendar rolls over from year to year, um, and it's usually set by something astronomical, either a solar or lunar calendar. But in terms of longer periods of time, you look at reigns of kings. But also, like you think about if you are living a life where you aren't keeping records of your own and you're not, maybe you're illiterate, maybe everyone around you is illiterate, you don't, you think of time differently. You record time differently. Because it's in lifetimes. And so what life is more significant to your people writing things down in your in your kingdom than the king's life. And so you just have this idea and you you add it up. So you've got so this king ruled for thirty years. Before him, he ruled for ten, and you work backwards that way. So Dionysius Exiguus um put all these things together. And there is a very dense and very confusing article that I found. Um <laughs> That works, that sort of retraces Dionysius Exiguus's steps, and it's available through NASA, interestingly. Whoa. Um, yeah. And so I read it, and I got angry. I was so confused. But you so can read we'll, it. We'll, yeah, we'll post it for the <laughs> listeners. Do you want to get angry about time? Have, have So that's interesting. Tell people oh, that at this party. I'm getting have, you guys ready for your holiday party. I know. I have another party factoid, which yes. is that in the Middle Ages, it is. it was often the practice for, you know, ladies of of reputation to 
cover their ears. It, you know, it was a modesty thing for ladies to cover their ears because it was thought that you could um, become impregnated that way because that Mary was impregnated because the, the angel spoke into her ear. So, you know, often with the, the head, the headgear that they wore, they had sort of like veils over their ears as a, as a modesty thing. Huh. That's not how that works for the record. Your ears are safe. So enjoy that at your next party. Oh, man. Around the punch bowl. Well, we got three nights covered in terms of facts. Yep. <laughs> oh, oh, we got to get five more. We got to get five more facts. Okay. Uh-oh. We got some coming up. Okay. All right. So if all of this is arbitrary and it's really just some guy that like played the long game to get his calendar uh, accepted, how do we nail down absolute dates for things? Why does it matter? And what happens when there are disagreements? Well, I can answer that last question. Drama. Drama happens. Excellent. (laughs) So the best example of this comes from the Bronze Age in the Mediterranean. Um, And this is a time when a whole lot was going on, including things that archaeologists and non-archaeologists cannot get enough of. And those things are the Trojan War, or the inspiration for it, and Egyptian pharaohs. Yep. So people love these two things. Very high stakes. A lot of ink has been spilled. As recently as 2014, there have been articles that came out in like prominent archaeological journals that are like, um, you're wrong. Uh, and we, we talked about this a little bit in a story that we covered in old news. I'll include some reading in this episode, but this is a tall drink of drama that we should save for its own future episode because I love archaeological fights. Okay. So we'll talk about that in the future, but it gets heated. Oh, okay. I look forward to that. I'm going to sit with my big bowl of drama popcorn. Yep. Yep. And take it all in. And so just to round this out, um, let's, let's do a, a few facts, a few facts and not so facts. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll start. I Here. love this. <laughs> so this is uh, both a fact about time and English law. So for those of you, so two things that I thought would not taste great together, but guess turns what? out it's a real Reese's cup. Of it's the a fun peanut fact. butter and chocolate of, of fact. Um, yeah. So for those of you for whom that Venn diagram intersects, you're welcome. So <laughs> there is a phrase in English law, quote, "time immemorial," and so you can you can own something like something could have been in your family since time immemorial, and that is a real thing with a real legal designation. So in law, it means that a property or benefit has been enjoyed for so long, specifically enjoyed. What if it's something you hate? <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's been it's been yours or your family's for so long that its owner does not have to prove how they came to own it. So a time before legal history and beyond legal memory. And so, and what how far back does the law remember? It goes exactly back to July 6th, 1189. <laughs> the beginning of the reign of Richard I. And so this was designated in 1275 by the first statute of Westminster, which was like a, a big document laying out the particularities of, of British law. And so since July 6th, 1189, proof of unbroken possession or use of any right made it unnecessary to establish the original grant or you know how you came into possession of that right or piece of property. And then before then nobody remembers anything because it's too hard. So that is that is time immemorial. So this was set forward in 1275. I know so there were so, a few years so, in between there. Where, well, <laughs> like what there happened? Were, so like somebody's grandpa is like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, other fun, the fun fact that we're going to lead out with for this episode. Um, did you know it's actually 1721? Boy, I hope no one is listening to this under the influence <laughs> of anything stronger than orange juice. Yeah, so this is phantom time hypothesis, which isn't just like the years of 2012 to 2014 for me. Like this is an <laughs> actual thing. Time. <laughs> And so it was published in 1991 by Heribert Illig. Who um, now? Who what? Heribert Illig. He was from Vohenstrauss, Bavaria. Ah, um, okay. And so in 91, he published this phantom time hypothesis, wh- which states that there's a conspiracy by the Holy Roman Empire Otto III 
Pope Sylvester II, and maybe even the Byzantine Emperor Constantine the Seventh, to fabricate, fabricate, to oh, fabricate boy. the Anno Domini dating system retrospectively, in order to place them at the special year of AD one thousand. Oh, so, so so these okay, so these people who are conspiring, they yeah. want to exist in the year one thousand. In the yeah yeah okay. And so they, right. they manipulated the calendrical so they, system. So, yeah. so they just to... tucked in, they tucked in the entire Carolingian period, including Charlemagne, but so not Charlemagne exist. the God. Charlemagne the God still exists, just in So Charlemagne the historical figure did not exist. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so they inserted 297 years into the Middle Ages. They inserted that period of 1614 to 9-11. CE into the mm-hmm. Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. So they did this so that they could be at the year 1000. Right. Um now there is a possible other reason why Otto would have done this, Holy Roman Emperor Otto III. Right. Um because he was not the legitimate claim like claimant to the Holy Roman Empire. Why would being uh emperor in 1000 make that it's not about legit. being it's not about being emperor in the year 1000 that's just oh like a tidy bow okay. um because if charlemagne don't exist then it's easier for otto to have a legitimate to be a legitimate heir huh so okay. he, ju- he was just like none of those guys were here now i do have to admit that all mainstream historians think this is dumb yes and so. I, I, I was going to ask until you said until you said the words conspiracy theory. I was going to ask if this was a think piece, and it was just kind of like a what if. But right. then you, st- nope, okay, yeah. And so there are other. So this isn't the only sort of historical conspiracy theory that exists. Oh, of course, it's not. So one of them is called the new chronology, from. David Roll, he's an English Egyptologist, um, and he put this forward in 1995. What was with Uh, the 90s? I mean, it was tough. Like, it contradicts. So it specifically deals with Egyptology. Okay. So, which, like, is already, like, hinky enough um, that, like, in terms of, like, dynasties and regnal dates and intermediate periods and all this, like, wild stuff. Um, And so he proposed a major revision to the established Egyptian chronology. Um, in particular, he redated the the kings and the king lists between the 19th and 25th dynasties and to kind of push conventional dating by up to 350 years. Um, and he did this because it makes it easier to identify some of the characters in the Hebrew Bible with people oh. whose name appear in archaeology. W- would so you he say was, he was getting far away from the truth? So his, um, so people aren't into it. Um, so, <laughs> what? And, no. Yeah. And so there is. Um, but the internet. Well, this is pre-internet. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it's. No. It's, oh, no. There are people that are into it. But there are actually more people who are into another new chronology um, that was put forward by Flamenco. Not snip, 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 snap. Not, <laughs> not flamenco. No, this is um, Anatoly Flamenco. He's a Russian mathematician. Oh, okay. <laughs> and a great dancer. So his concept is most fully explained in some in a in a rub- Russian publication. It's called History, Fiction, or Science. So, uh, so they've been on that they've been on that fake news tip for a while. Um, so this is something that it was big following the breakup of the Soviet Union. It was like a conspiracy theory that picked up a lot of um, a lot of steam because this was a time when there was like increased freedom of speech and like people could say whatever they wanted. Um, oh boy! Suddenly, you handed wrong. everyone a microphone. Yeah, yeah, and um, and like so two a lot idiots of, making a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a lot of alternate histories and like conspiracy literature came forward at this point. Um, and, and so this one, Fomenko, tick, 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 um, I'm doing castanets. Yeah, I know. I can, I can't see them, but I can see them. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Fomenko 
uh, says that the written history of humankind only goes back as far as AD 800. Oh, that's like Bishop um, Usher and, like doing the, the biblical calculations and saying the yeah. world is 6,000 years old. And there is almost no information about events between 800 and 1,000. And most known historical events take place between 1,000 and 1,500. Now, there is um, a specific angle that they're pushing. Let me find it. Um, oh, yes. Um, I think it is the Jews. Oh, boy. Happy Hanukkah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is something that so central to uh, this new chronology is there's an existence of a vast Slav Turk empire, mm. the Russian horde. And so this is this is very like the Scythians, the Huns, Goths, Bulgars uh, through the Polyan, the Dulebi, Drevalan, Pechenegs, <laughs> up through the Cossacks, Ukrainians, Belarusians. They are nothing but elements of a single Russian horde. So, okay. Um, anybody like so for this people was before World this, of Warcraft, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so people who believe this think that Ukrainians, Belarusians, Mongols, and um, others who assert their national independence from Russia, um, they're suffering from nothing more than historical delusion. This took a different. Turn. Is it so this, I thought we were like, just gonna tell people about the Stone Age and then have a nice little talk about Wow. Nope, turns out everything's Russian. Wow. I mean, unless you ask literally anyone else. Right. Well, we will let our listeners decide <laughs> what they choose to believe. And our, our email address is the dirtpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and Anatoly Fomenko, if you're listening. Yeah, most Russian scientists and worldwide historians consider Fomenko's historical works to be either pseudoscientific or anti-scientific. Okay. I mean, he's a math professor, so go with what you know. Stay in your lane, Fomenko. And that's math. <laughs> math and dancing, sir. Sir. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, listeners, for taking the time to ah. listen. <laughs> Uh, thanks for muddling through all of that with us. And, uh, well, boy, we sure do love you guys. Yeah, we do. We do. And you can find us. Um, you can find us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and wherever else you get your podcast fix. But not Spotify. But not Spotify. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at The Dirt Podcast. You can tweet at us. We're at Dirt Podcast. On Instagram, we're at The Dirt Pod. Um, all of those things go to our website, thedirtpod.com. And for the third time this episode. <laughs> yeah, Anatoly Flamenco. Email us, thedirtpodcast at gmail.com. And Anatoly Flamenco and everyone else, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Professor Thank Flamenco, you. you don't have to rate and review us. Uh, you can support us on Patreon. Help us uh, pay our legal fees. <laughs> 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 Professor Flamenco. Oh, rain tell on us. Uh, you can become a monthly subscriber or a single time donor of any amount. Either way, we'd be extremely grateful. And you could do that at patreon.com slash the dirt podcast. And you can learn more about what we want to do with those Patreon funds over at the dirtpod.com slash goals. Thanks for listening, guys. We love you. We love you. Happy Chronica. Happy Chronica. Bye. Bye.